This is how Luke describes that first Easter. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And were turning from the, the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. They went to the tomb expecting Jesus' body to be there, but it was not there because he had risen from the dead. Now, Jesus' resurrection changes everything. Jesus' resurrection is radically transforming. Now, we want to talk today, I do, about the empty tomb, and the transformation of the cross. But we got to begin here. The cross was an instrument of death. It's a means of execution of capital punishment. Now, in the United States, we've used several means to execute criminals. Hanging, firing squad, electric chair, gas chamber, lethal injection. And none of these means <laughs> death is always ugly, always destructive. But most of these means aren't intended to extend the punishment. The cross is different. The cross was designed to be a brutal means of execution. The word excruciating actually comes from the Latin, from the cross, from the crucifixion. In a sense, it literally means this intense pain of the cross. The cross was designed to be a means of executing the worst prisoners and to do it in the way that caused the most excruciating pain. That's how it was designed. 
The criminals either hung, hung by ropes or in Jesus' case, by nails. Likely, we don't have details, but likely here in the wrists and through the heel bones. Now, the criminals usually had been beaten and persecuted before they were ever crucified, so they could have died from any number of inflicted wounds. But oftentimes, as the criminal hung there for hours or days, it was asphyxiation. They'd push up trying to get their breath and eventually not have the strength. The cross is a cruel instrument of destruction, of death, and execution. And the cross is what was used to kill Jesus. All he'd done was heal people, love people. He was betrayed, and then he was tried, beaten, crown of thorns thrust on his head. They forced him to carry his cross to Golgotha, and there they nailed him to that cross. Jesus died in one of the most brutal forms of execution, the cross. Now, the empty tomb, that is a symbol of life. Because when they went to the tomb, it was empty because Jesus was living. Now, let's not forget, a tomb is a permanent resting place for the dead. And death is an enemy. And when people die, it's for good. When people die, they stay dead. My wife and I just returned from uh, a, a week out in Virginia visiting our oldest daughter and Kirsten and her husband Phil and our grandkids uh, Colton and, and Deacon and Emerson and we had a great time. I'm just going to tell you, grandkids are fabulous. They live just outside of D.C. Now my son-in-law is a Navy reservist and uh, a military historian as a hobby. So last Monday we were in Gettysburg. You talk about a somber place. If you've not been there, you can track and, and trace where the battles were fought over three days, July 1st to 3rd in 1863. My son-in-law drove us around and described the battles and, and the conflict and, 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 and the destruction that occurred in those three days. And we got uh, around this huge battlefield and we ended at the Gettysburg Cemetery. I'm sure most of us are familiar with some pretty famous words that the president at the time, Abraham Lincoln, uttered from that cemetery. I'm going to tell you, it's a somber place. We stood where Abraham Lincoln delivered those words. Surrounded by graves many of whom were placed there 
158 years ago. They're still there. Because that's what happens when we physically die. It's permanent. That's what tombs are for. And that's what we celebrate, though, today. Those women, those disciples, they went to that tomb expecting to experience what I expected in Gettysburg. The body would still be there, but it was not. And the empty tomb validates, confirms that what Jesus had done three days later had actually been accomplished. He took our sin on himself. He took our eternal death, the punishment on himself, and he rose from the dead. He conquered sin and he conquered death. And the proof of that is the empty tomb. Now the empty tomb is a symbol of life that makes perfect sense. And what happened on that morning is so powerful, though, that it actually transformed the symbolism of the cross. Can you imagine somebody wearing a necklace with a hangman's noose? A rifle as a symbol of a firing squad. A guillotine? An electric chair? A gas chamber? If somebody were to wear a chain, a man or a woman, with a guillotine around their neck, I'm pretty sure we would go, that is grotesque. That is despicable. That is heinous. That is downright offensive. And yet Jesus, <laughs> in rising from the dead, has transformed a symbol of brutal death, of excruciating pain and agony into a symbol of life. Crosses are about them one of the most popular medallions that people wear. Justin Bieber, The Weeknd, Rihanna, you know, Kardashian, Kim, I believe. Styles, Harry Styles, just to name a few. Folks, the cross is an instrument of brutal death. But the power of the resurrection has so radically transformed this symbol that there are people wearing this that don't even know what it represents. 
I'd have had friends that have worn crosses that if they understood what it represented, I know they didn't treasure Christ and they didn't get it. First service, here I've noticed several of you wearing an instrument of brutal death around your neck. And make no mistake, it is beautiful. (laughs) Because through Jesus' resurrection, he transformed this instrument of death into an instrument of life. And he did that through what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And the transformation is, is for all who enjoy and understand what he did there. Then he went to the cross, our sins went to him. Peter puts it this way. He, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree. Here's the transformation. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. The innocent lamb of God took our gunk, our sin, our shame, and our wrong on himself. And as he did that, he bore the punishment that we should all receive. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Since humans had sinned, he had to become a human being. Second person of the Trinity, Christmas, incarnation so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, one of those big theological words used four times in the New Testament, filled with meaning. Jesus made propitiation for the sins of the people, and here's what it means. There's a holy, righteous God. Because he's holy and righteous, he must justly condemn sin and sinners. He's got to do it. It would be unjust for him not to. He has to pour out the punishment on those folks who are guilty. Here's what propitiation means. Rather than us receiving that punishment for eternity, which is what we deserve, while he was on the cross, Jesus received from his heavenly Father, though he was innocent and pure, the punishment that should go to us. I can't imagine what it was like for him to be tortured and beaten and nailed to the cross, a spear thrust in his side. I really can't imagine that pain. I'll probably limit my use of excruciating pain in my life going forward. But what he endured physically was nothing compared to what he endured spiritually. The innocent, holy Lamb of God, first of all, just taking our sin on himself. I can't imagine what that meant to him. And then while he had our sin on himself, the Father pouring out the righteous punishment that we ought to receive on his holy Son. I don't know how to really begin the depth of understanding that comes with that, I don't know, begin to know how to illustrate that. 
But because of that, our transgressions and our sins are forgiven. Paul writes, by canceling the record of debt that we all have that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. An instrument designed for excruciatingly painful execution of human life. And our guilt is transformed into righteousness. Paul puts it this way. Through the power of the cross. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered for the, the, the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Because here's the beauty of this transformation. We're guilty. Jesus takes our sins on himself, which makes us innocent. What Paul is telling us is it's better than our being innocent. The word we use for this theologically is imputed. And what that means, when Jesus was on the cross, our sins were imputed to Jesus. When God the Father looked at Jesus, he saw our sins as belonging to Jesus, but they weren't Jesus. What Paul's telling us is when that happened, Jesus took our sin and we got his righteousness. It's not our righteousness, it's the righteousness of Jesus. This is why when we come to faith in Christ and we're hanging on to the sins of the past and the guilt and the shame of the past, this is minimizing what Jesus has done. He took our sin and he made us better than not guilty. He made us righteous so that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Why would we hang on? Why would we beat ourselves up? Why would we cling to shame of past mistakes? It's stupid. And demeaning to Jesus, given what he paid on our behalf. In our death, here's the foundational element of it. Our death, our spiritual death is transformed into spiritual eternal life. Paul puts it very concisely this way. For the wages of sin is death. I hear people once in a while say, hey, we haven't earned anything from God. I go, that is wrong. Here's what we've earned. Eternal death uses death here, and physical death is a portion of this, but what he's talking about is spiritual death. He's talking about being separated from God for all eternity. That's what each of us has earned by our life. So we have actually earned something from God. It's called hell. It's called damnation. So he owes us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift, what we celebrate this weekend the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Probably the most famous verse to most of us, at least if you grew up in church, it was the first one most of us memorized. A beautiful summary of the gospel. For God so loved the world, his motive in all this, his love for us, that he gave his only son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, experience eternal spiritual death. Not going to experience that. But have eternal life. This is the crux of the gospel. This is the crux of the transformation of the cross. This is why this instrument of death is now a symbol of life to us. My father died 11 days ago. Most of you would guess I knew him all my life. I will miss him. Many of you have offered condolences and been praying for me and for my extended family. Thank you very much. It is never, ever easy to say goodbye. Really not goodbye, it's see you later. Even knowing that, it's not easy. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your condolences. But I will assure you that me, my brothers, my sister, and our extended families, while we grieve not being able to see my dad anymore in this life, we are thrilled for him. And we are rejoicing. He has now seen Jesus face to face. He doesn't have to deal with the problems of this life anymore. He's in the immediate presence of God. You remember Paul saying something about, oh, yeah, and we put this in the theoretical, hypothetical category, but what should I do? Would I rather live with you or would I rather be in heaven? He said, I'd rather be in heaven, as great as y'all are. My dad's experienced that, so thank you for your condolences, but the essence of this is condolences, yes, thank you, please, but it ought to be congratulations. He is home now for all eternity. That's the transformation that occurs through the cross for all who trust in Jesus. Now, this foundation of knowing that we look at the final enemy, death, and we are not in any way intimidated or fearful because we understand we are more than conquerors. There's the foundation. Throw at us what you want in the world, the biggest enemy, and please, if you don't get this, please listen very carefully. The biggest enemy is death. It is. There's a lot of bad stuff in the world. Nothing as bad as death. But through Jesus, we have overcome that. So it changes the way we live. It changes our attitudes. It changes our values, our perspective in this life. We can have a tendency to be condemning, condemning and maybe a little prideful and want to measure ourselves against other people and feel better than them. But when we experience Jesus' love and we get the transformation of the cross through his resurrection, we are transformed into forgiving people. We can't hold on to grudges. How would we hold on to grudges given what God has forgiven each of us? I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, but people can hurt people and forgive us, Lord, but it happens even in the church. Church people hurt church people. And yet here's the transforming power of the gospel that we are transformed into forgiving people even when people have taken advantage of us and, and, and hurt us. Despairing. 
I don't know if you've noticed, but the world can be a hard place to live. And you've probably figured this out, but it's actually hard for everybody. We may not see where it's hard for somebody else, but just let me assure you, everybody's facing challenges. But despairing, living without hope, we live with hope with Jesus. We're his children, and we have the confidence he's working for our good in all things, anxious, fearful in this world that's filled with challenges and difficulties. With Christ, we have a peace that surpasses human understanding. We have a confidence that we will overcome any enemy in Jesus Divisive, we again as people, we can tend to want to cut people down and be divisive. But when Christ is filling our hearts with his love, we want to build people up. We want to bring, bring people together. We live differently than those who don't have Christ. We're not envious of folks. Lots of people have lots of stuff in this world. We have Jesus, and we are more than conquerors of the final enemy. What are we envious of? Because we got Christ, we are grateful. We're grateful for all God's given us, and we are grateful and thrilled for what he's given to other people. Indifferent. There are a lot of people, every time I travel, and, and I'm old, so this has happened a lot of times I should have figured out, but every time I'm in a plane and you're flying over big cities or you get to another big city, I am struck with how many people there are in the world. We've got all this media out there where we have access to all these volumes of people, and I'm afraid one of the implications is that it makes us somewhat callous and indifferent. There's so many people, what difference are we actually going to make? We get Jesus in us, this transforming power, and his love comes into us, and we just have to give it away. We cannot keep it to ourselves. Are we going to give it to everybody? No, but there's a bunch of people that could be encouraged by Christ's love through us. And sad. I think life is complicated, and it's a combination never of either happy or sad. The world is broken. The vast majority of people today are headed for eternal death that they deserve. That sadness goes with me all the time. But there's this joy <laughs> that exceeds the sadness. Oh, this joy in Jesus and I am a victor and all those who treasure Christ are victors and conquerors and we have the truth that can help these other folks. Is the world a hard place filled with brokenness that ought to touch our hearts always? But the answer is Jesus. Oh, and the joy that comes with that. We have this foundational transformation in being set free and being children of God because of what Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection. And it transforms our lives. And this radical transformation is available to anyone who simply trusts Jesus. This is an invitation that God gives to everyone. I want you to pretend for a second that this hand 
is me. Everybody pretending? This is me. This phone, this is for the younger people. You older people, pretend this is a book. This phone is a record of my life. Now, here's when my life really changed. I grew up going to church, and I really didn't get this till my early 20s. Didn't get it. But I experienced this transformation when I really figured this out in my head and in my heart. Here's me. Here's the record of my life. Good, bad, everything in there. God looks at this, and he should send me to hell. Now, that message was very familiar to me, but it really hadn't penetrated my heart. My life changed when I finally got that. When I was convinced that was the holy and righteous thing to do, I had earned something from God, and it was hell, and he should give it to me. This hand, if you will, let it represent Jesus. The prophet Isaiah, talking about Jesus, said, All ye like sheep have, have gone your own way. You've turned everyone to his own way. His hand is Jesus. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When I finally figured that out, my life was transformed through the power of the transformation of the cross. Now God looks at me. He doesn't see my sin and my iniquity. What he sees is the righteousness of Jesus now attributed to me. Now, here's what the resurrection is about. Jesus went to the cross and he took all our sins. So imagine limitless phones on him. But it couldn't hold him. He rose from the dead. He conquered sin. He defeated sin. And he defeated death. That's what the empty tomb is about. And because he rose from the dead, oh, we have eternal life forever with him. And we are connected to Jesus because of his love. Folks, this is a fabulous weekend. It is the foundation of our faith and it is the foundation of our hope that out of his love, Jesus went to the cross. And the cross, though an instrument of death, was transformed into a symbol of life. And the evidence of that is that Jesus rose from the dead and lives. And anyone who trusts him, anyone who has faith in him, anyone who treasures him enjoys that transformation. I'm going to encourage you this week. You see a cross on a steeple, you see a cross on a chain, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord that this instrument of death is a symbol of life. You take out your phone, 
You duck, look at your phone, you see somebody else's phone, you go, oh yeah, all that stuff of my life has been washed away forever. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thanks for coming into this world. Uh, thank you for listening to your heavenly father. Thank you for in love obeying him and going to the cross and taking on all of our stuff, all of our wrongs, all of our sin. Thank you for paying the price. Thank you for enduring all of that, that we might become children of God. Father, encourage us in this walk. For those who maybe haven't treasured you yet, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would keep them pursuing you. Father, continue that transforming work in our life. Continue to fill us with the confidence, with the joy, with the grace, with the love, with the kindness that comes from being your children, from understanding and celebrating your death and your glorious resurrection. May the truth that we will live with you for all eternity, but the foundation of our lives each and every day, our thoughts, our feelings, our actions, May they flow from the transformation that comes with loving Jesus.